So thank you for everybody coming in today. I know it's a beautiful spring afternoon, but we're glad you joined us as we, as we finish up our last commitment uh, in this study that we started um, probably a little over six weeks ago. We had some pauses and some breaks, um, but we're glad you're here tonight. We will finish up commitment number six tonight. Um, as a refresher, uh, we're going to look back at those because we did have some breaks uh, in some of these commitments. So we're going to look back at uh, the first five commitments. I think we'll show those up there. But commitment number one was we will give ourselves to a regular lifestyle of confession and forgiveness. Uh, the second one was we will make growth and change our daily agenda. Uh, anybody that's been married for any length of time whatsoever knows that's very important that we've got to focus on growth. Uh, you are growing one way or another. Hopefully it's in the right direction. We will work together to build a sturdy bond of trust was commitment number three. Um, commitment number four is we will commit to building a relationship of love. And commitment number five, we talked about a couple of weeks back, is we will deal with our differences with appreciation and grace. So there's probably not many topics uh, that I've taught on over my years uh, in small group predominantly, but that I feel more ill-equipped to teach on than marriage. Um, it is a, it is a uh, humbling experience as you study. Uh, it is a humbling experience as you sit up here and teach. Um, every time you get to a new point where Paul David Tripp uh, uh, and, and um, John Piper and Tim Keller, and you go through these great teachers of the faith and you go through their marriage books, um, it is consistently humbling on, hey, they've got some really great ideas and some great insight to God's Word. I haven't seen that before. Wow, I've bumbled that up the last 18 years that I've been married to my beautiful bride, Amanda, there. Um, so, you know, I, I come to this with great humility and being able to teach. I thank Pastor John for letting us, letting us do this. But by no means have I got the rap on how to do any of this. Uh, every day, it seems like, uh, for the last 18 years, I've... Uh, seemingly needed God's grace more and more and more, and we'll talk a lot about that tonight. Um, but hopefully as I continue to get older, I continue to rely on that grace even more. So as we, as we talk about this tonight and as we talk about the previous five commitments, ask yourself, how, how do I rack and stack on those commitments? How do I, uh, am I doing well? Am I doing poor? Um, everybody has different seasons of their marriage, I would believe. I think mine has had various different seasons of where I, I did some of this very well. Some of this I was very in tune with. Um, there's seasons where I think, man, I did all that really bad, really poorly. Um, so how, how do you stack up today? How does your marriage stack up? Some of you may say, hey, I'm, I'm in survival mode. Um, uh, we're, in a, we're in a valley. Uh, we're struggling. Uh, whether that's financially, whether that's spiritually, whether that's uh, getting along, loving one another, serving one another. Um, some of you may say, hey, I got this down pat. We're in a high season right now, right? Um, I don't need this marriage stuff. That's for everybody else in the room. We got ours covered, uh, and that's good. But tonight, we're going to talk about a message for everybody. We're going to talk about protecting your marriage. So if you got a good one, let's keep it a good one. If you got a bad one, we've, we've got an answer for that too in God's Word. It's His grace, right? We, we will work through that. We'll get you back to, to where you think God wants you to be. But also, we're going to look at some real practical ways on how do you protect your marriage today? How do you, how do you keep that, if you've got a great marriage going, and if you've got a marriage that you don't believe is, is there yet, which hopefully nobody believes they're there yet, how do, you, how do you protect that marriage? So these are the kind of the things we're going to look at today. 
I wanted to kind of start everybody off with remembering um, that God created marriage. So you basically go to Genesis 2. Uh, it's, it's very easy. He spoke it into existence. I think that's kind of the baseline for how you have to start with your marriage. Uh, Genesis 2, 24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That's hard. It's hard truth. Uh, it's hard to think about uh, two becoming one, two becoming one flesh. But God spoke this into existence. This is not something man created. God created marriage. Um, as, we, as we study things uh, tonight, this will become very evident. The words hold fast to his wife and the words they shall become one flesh point to a marriage as a sacred covenant rooted in commitments that stand against every storm as long as we both shall live. Marriage is also created for him. So he created marriage. Marriage is created for him. Ephesians 5, 31, 32. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. In verse 32, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So as we think of marriage, we have to think of it in the proper context of Christ and the church. Marriage is patterned after Christ's covenant commitment to his church. John Piper puts it this way, Marriage is designed by God to display His glory in a way that no other event or institution does. So never think lowly of your marriage. Never think it's just something that affects you and your spouse. It's a, it's a great event. It points to something much greater than yourself. So as we think about this today and we think about the hard work that I'm going to kind of challenge you to do, it's, it's worth doing. Okay? Our marriages are images of Christ and his bride, the church. He gives us ample grace as the church, and we are called to act and serve accordingly. Uh, Tripp says, God's grace gives you marriage, gives your marriage everything you need to be what you are supposed to be and do what he has called you to do in your marriage. But you must do it. So we'll talk a lot tonight about doing the work that's required to protect your marriage. Uh, grace is ample. Grace is sufficient. Grace is there. You must do it. Gary Thomas says, A good marriage isn't something you find. It's something you make. So you found love. You found your wonderful spouse maybe yesterday, maybe years ago. But you make a great marriage. You don't just find a great marriage. It takes hard work. By His grace alone, we may enable, reconcile, restore, and repair our marriages to be great testimonies of faith. I've got a great example of that that I've experienced in the last couple of weeks. Uh, many of you that's been here for years and years probably remember Al Killen. Uh, Al uh, went to church here many years ago, was a, was a uh, chair of the deacons several times, uh, deacon for many years, good guy. Long story short, that's where I met Al, was here. He becomes my boss much later in life. Um, his mom passed away uh, of Alzheimer's disease, I guess, two weeks ago, uh, somewhere in there. Uh, she's from Meridian, Mississippi, so a couple of us from work decided it was a good idea that we go to visitation. So his mom and his dad had been married for 62 years. Uh, great Great testimony in and of itself, just the longevity. Um, so we show up in Meridian, Mississippi, and for those that aren't from Mississippi, every small town in Mississippi, everybody knows everybody. Uh, just, how, just how we do it. 
We don't have big metropolises like Huntsville here. We have small towns like Meridian, Mississippi. We have gas stations. We have uh, grocery stores, and everybody knows everybody. And at a funeral day, everybody comes to the funeral home. So we stood in line for, it seemed like forever. Uh, there's probably a few hundred people in the, in the funeral home, and everybody had a story of Mr. and Ms. Killen. Uh, Ms. Killen had, had gotten and big, been diagnosed with Alzheimer's approximately five years ago. She um, uh, had had a rough time. It was a pretty, pretty uh, uh, bad case of it, but uh, Mr. Killen had taken great care of her. He had waited on her hand and foot. Almost all the stories we had heard was about his grace and his mercy in taking care of his wife. And I'm riding home that night, so it's a four-hour drive down. We had heard, and I get to talk to Mr. Killen, and he tells me about 10 more stories and about made me cry while I'm sitting there talking to him. And, and to be honest with you, I've never met the man before a couple of weeks ago. I've known his son very, very well and for a long time. But as he's telling me stories, I'm just about to, to boo-hoo because this guy's been married to his bride for 62 years. And all I've heard up until the point of him getting there is how everybody else had known that he had taken care of his wife for five years. She pretty much was incapacitated for almost five years. So I, I remember driving back thinking, man, I'd like to be like that. I'd like to be a hero that could take care of his wife when she has nobody else to take care of her. So as we, as we talk tonight, understand that God gives you the same grace that Mr. Killen had to take care of his wife for five years at an elderly age. He's 80-something years old yet he was taking baths and, and waiting on her hand and foot and those kind of things. You've, you've got the grace to handle whatever God's got in front of you in your marriage. He's given you that grace. So let's understand that before we get too much into practical do's and don'ts tonight. We'll have some do's and don'ts, but let's remember God's grace is there and it's sufficient. Okay. So wherever your marriage stands tonight, we're discussing something for all of us. We're talking about protecting our marriage um, that's very, very important. If you don't think your marriage needs protecting, we'll talk after this. Um, but your marriage nef- uh, definitely needs protecting. No marriage this side of eternity is totally problem protected. You can have the greatest marriage this side of eternity. You still need to protect it. Okay. So we've got to realize that. Uh, it's not safe. Your marriage is not a safe marriage. Uh, it has vulnerable points, uh, as if, especially if you let your guard down. So commitment number six is tonight is we will work to protect our marriage. Um, that is our uh, last commitment. And uh, my, my first point tonight that we'll talk about, you can't, I got two can'ts and I got a do. So I got three points, but I got two can'ts and, and a do. You can't be a sinner living with a sinner in coast. Um, that's a, that's a, we walk into this thing bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, if you will, and then we think, wow, my spouse sure is a sinner. Right, I think Amanda did that for me. I was I was kind of wide-eyed, thinking, "Wow, I didn't realize there were so many things that I didn't like," and I'm sure she found more than I did. But Webster defines coast in the way that we're using it tonight as to proceed easily without special application of effort or concern. So you can't retire from the work of marriage. You can't chill out. You can't relax. There's no easy button. Uh, there is no get married or get to some stage and quit. Um, in fact, the greatest danger we may have in front of us is a good marriage. Right? Some of you would say, I would say my marriage is good. That may be a problem. If I think it's good 
safe, um, too good, and I don't need to do any work anymore, then I may just relax. So that very well could be a, a biggest problem we, we face. When this happens, we get a sense of relaxation, a sense of arrival. We forget attitudes, disciplines, and work that made the great marriage. So if you do have a great marriage today, thank God for that. That's great. But you got there through great discipline, great habits, great work, uh, great grace, right? So if you got a great marriage today, be thankful for that. But remember, you need to continue to work on that. Um, I, I like to use the, it is March, it's my favorite time of year sports-wise, uh, college basketball season, NCAA is still, still in the mix here. Uh, my team's still there, and there's 16 left, so that's great. So I, everything's still happy at the Carter home. Uh, that being said, every year, usually, minus this year, there's been very few upsets, usually you'll find a team that has a great body of work. They've won 30 games, they get a one or a two seed. Last year it was was a 16 seed beating a one seed, but you saw a team that had a great body of work, great team, get beat by never had happened before in the history of the game, a 16 seed beating a one seed. So some would look at that as, well, maybe they put it in coast. Maybe they put it in relaxation mode, right? So uh, the analogy is, is true. You can have a great team. You can go a whole season of life and have a great marriage and then lose it. Just like that. You can lose it in four quarters or two halves of a, of a minute, right? So we're going to work to protect our marriage. So in order to not coast, we're going to look at six ways to know if we are coasting. So I can't, I can't really ad, uh, address coasting if I don't know that I am coasting. Right? So the first order of, of business is I have to realize, hey, wait, I'm kind of in coast mode. I'm kind of in relaxation mode, right? So the first one is visual lethargy. Living with lazy eyes, you no longer see what once captivated your attention. So, so think back to your, your dating days, your courtship days. Everything that you did with your spouse was memorable. Everything that you did was, um, uh, you know, of great attention. You, you didn't let things pass that you uh, may now let pass. Um, your eyes were captivated by your spouse. Your conversations, your everything was was there for, for recording, for mentally picturing, for understanding. Uh, lazy eyes lead you to quit working on things that need work. Sometimes we get kind of um, okay with not being uh, the spouse we need to be or the spouse that God's called us to be. Well, we've been married for so long, she's used to it by now, right? Uh, she, she's not going to really expect me to go above and beyond here, so I'll just kind of kick back and relax. Number two is habit inconsistency. Uh, when you get married, uh, you first remember all the things that you're going to want to do. Then, hey, we're going to do this and that, and we're not going to let the sun go down on our anger. We're not going to... All the things that you try to put in place that you've been hopefully prepped and, and taught on by year two, year five, year seven, maybe year 20, I'm not doing those anymore, all right? So good, consistent habits often start early in a marriage, but often they fall to the wayside. Satisfaction and comfortable replaces good, consistent habits. So as you start, you have good, consistent habits in mind. We want to have good, consistent habits. Um, and I've heard, and I think it's so important, uh, here's a plug for small group, Adam, it's so important for you to be involved in a small group here at Capshaw. Uh, the things you can learn from your peers and from your uh, other couples around you are phenomenal. Some some couples get this really, really well. 
and we can we can learn so much from doing life with others in marriage. Uh, doing marriage in isolation, I can't fathom. I really can't. Um, there's so much stuff I get wrong, and I don't know I get it wrong until I get around others that are getting it right. So uh, if you're not around others consistently and trying to live life with, with other couples, uh, good other Christian couples, then I would encourage that. The third point to know that you're coasting is laziness. We often want good marriages. We just don't want to work to get them. Um, so we say it's okay when it isn't okay. We don't want to have difficult conversations. We hide behind entertainment. We hide behind our phones. We hide behind busyness. Um, we want a good marriage. Everybody, I don't know, if I raise the hands in here, who wants a bad marriage? Nobody wants that. Nobody wants that, but what are you going to do to, to get it? I ask people at work, who wants a raise? Everybody wants a raise. Nobody wants a demotion. Right? Nobody wants to take home less money than they did last week. Same thing with marriage. Nobody wants to have a bad marriage, but are you willing to work for it? Hopefully the answer is yes to that. Number four is impatience. We often resist the process that makes a marriage beautiful and demands things in an instant. I am the world's worst at this. My patient scale is not very high. Um, and, and unfortunately, um, I married a, uh, or fortunately, I married a woman that has the most patience I've ever seen, so that worked out very well because I have very little, uh, very, very um, much something I have worked on, and hopefully I'm better than I was 18 years ago, but I don't know if it's, that much better. But uh, God designed change to be a process. It's not necessarily an event. A lot of times we, we get into marriage and we think, oh boy, we, this is, there's some different things here. But it's a process. It's not an event. God put two flawed people together. He wants you to quit relying on yourself and begin to seek the help that only God can give. So we have to realize we're just as flawed as our spouse. Some of us are more flawed than our spouse. But that being said... They nor you are going to be changed in an instant. So uh, develop some patience. Um, the fifth thing is responding in discouragement. Sometimes we quit, quit responding in faith, hope, and love and start responding to one another in discouragement and fear. We fear what could happen instead of uh, putting our hope in Jesus and putting our hope in his grace that he uh, graciously pours out on us. We've all been sinned against and have all sinned against one another. We will be disappointed at times in our marriage. So we, we know we're going to be uh, disappointed. Uh, we know we're going to be disappointing to our spouse. So uh, we have to respond in faith, hope, and love there. So fight discouragement and, and with hope and battle doubt with faith in the one that created marriage and put you and your spouse together. Remember, there's no accidents in marriage, right? God uniquely put you two sinners together. He didn't, it wasn't by chance, it wasn't by luck. We don't believe in God doing things by chance or luck. Uh, for all things were created for your good, and all things happen for your good. And the sixth one is dining with the enemy. Uh, marriage is spiritual warfare. Uh, the devil's out to break up your marriage. Look at our country stats. I mean, ever since we were, most of us in this room were kids, uh, the divorce rate keeps rising and rising. And the surprise thing is, it's not much different in the church than it is outside the church. So marriage is spiritual warfare. It got, the devil wants to break up your house because it's a, it's a uh, bad news for the rest of your family. It's bad news for your witness. It's bad news for, for everybody around. So he likes that. So we have to understand that our 
marriage consistently needs to be protected because it's under spiritual warfare. We must not believe we've arrived. Um, let go of good, good habits. Enable lazy eyes. Quit paying attention. When we do these things, we're dining with the devil. So I think Tripp calls it dining with the enemy there, but it is a, a very, very uh, uh, telltale sign if we quit doing the things that made our marriage strong and start letting him have an open door to our home. So remain alert, commit, commit ourselves to being watchful. So those are, those are some things and some ways to know if you were possibly coasting. Um, as I read through those and studied those, openly admitted there's probably areas I've got to pay more attention to. Uh, busyness and all the things that come with life uh, is a struggle sometimes, uh, but understand that that is a constant reminder for you. So item number two, point number two we want to talk about. Uh, so we, we don't want to coast. There's my first don't, first can't. Your next one is we must not cease seeking God's help for our marriages. Uh, pray. How often are you praying with your spouse? How often are you praying for your spouse? How do you pray for your spouse? Uh, we'll go over some practical ideas in just a minute. Um, but if it's true that a marriage must be fixed vertically before it's ever fixed horizontally, then the place where you win the war for marriage is on your knees. Uh, we talked about God's grace already, and we'll be talking about it again in a minute. He pours it out on you, so why aren't we asking? If we're having trouble in our marriage and God created marriage, why aren't we pouring out and crying out to Him consistently? Uh, we've been studying First Thessalonians in our small group class, and we're not quite to chapter 5 yet, but we're getting there. But this is the third or fourth time this pops up in this uh, book. So Paul says in, in, verse, in chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So pray without ceasing. You know, Paul's talking to uh, what is, by, by Paul's standard, a good church. Um, he's using that as an example, but it applies a lot to marriage too. If I'm going to pray without ceasing for others, for myself, for my whatever I'm praying for, I should be praying without ceasing for my spouse should be praying without ceasing for my marriage, that it would be a pointer to Christ and his church, Christ and his bride, right? So I think for me, that is one of the first things we tend to forget when our good marriage gets good. Well, I've got a lot of stuff to pray for. I've got kids. I've got sicknesses. I've got in-laws that are sick. I've got parents that are sick. I've got work issues, financial issues. All the things that we pray for, when we start our morning prayer, hopefully, is your spouse number one. I've tried to change that a few years ago to try to put an order ranking priority on it. Um, but is your spouse number one? Are you praying for your marriage? Even if it's a good marriage, pray for it. Okay, Pray for your spouse daily. Pray with your spouse. This side of heaven, there's nothing more important for our marriages than to pray without ceasing. Uh, Tripp says there is never a moment in our marriage when we are not in need of rescuing, enabling, delivering grace of the Redeemer. So I'm going to read that again because I really like it. <clears throat> there is never a moment, never in our moment in our marriage when we are not in need of the rescuing, enabling, and delivering grace 
of the Redeemer. There's never a moment when we do not need His wisdom, strength, and forgiveness. There's never a time when we have grown up enough that we no longer need His mercy. This, this side of heaven, we will never graduate from the school of grace. So think about that for a minute. Everything we do in life almost, we graduate from. Graduate from elementary school, you graduate from middle school, you graduate from high school, we graduate from college, we get into the workforce, and what happens? We work for a few years, they promote us. We promote up to another level. We promote up to another level. We eventually graduate to retirement. Right? Hopefully, Lord willing. I don't I got three kids, I'm just gonna be a while. But we eventually graduate to levels of what? Relaxation or or um a higher status for, for you and your family or something. You never graduate from grace. You never get to a point where i got to cover God. I don't need any more of your grace. I found it to be quite opposite. When I was young, I don't think I knew how much grace I needed. The older I get, the more grace I realize I need. The longer I've been married, the more grace I need poured out on me. I haven't got it whipped by no means. Matter of fact, I think I need more grace now than I did 18 years ago. But we never graduate from grace. You never retire from it. So keep, keep asking for his grace and he will provide. Um, for, our, for prayer to transform our marriages, we must realize two truths. Uh, number one, our lives are not our own. Uh, we often get into uh, a selfish pattern in our marriage where, hey, she's not provider. Your spouse is not providing for you for this. She's on my case about that. What, it's all about... Me, 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 what me is not getting. Um, Our lives are not our own. If you're a follower of Christ and he has bought and paid for you with a price, then your life, everything that you are, everything that you have, and every situation and relationship in which you live belongs to him. So most of our problems with marriage revolve around ourselves. It's a me-generated problem. The second thing we must realize for prayer to transform our marriages, sin makes us comprehensively needy. Um, I, I give the example all the time, and I joke, and I won't give Amanda embarrassed in here, but I had to run all stories by her, but this one's impromptu. I, as, I, as I was courting, trying to find what was my future wife, I had a simple test. I took uh, any girl that I was interested in to Walmart. Laugh now, laugh now. Uh, but it was, and everybody used to laugh at me then, but it was an interesting test to see what, uh, how needy, and that was really what I was looking at, and there's a story behind that probably from that was generated from my parents, but how needy is this potential spouse? Right? How, how, if I walk into Walmart and I'm buying, so usually it was under the guise of I need to go buy groceries from my dorm or my room or whatever, and so would she turn her nose up at the great value brand? Right? Would she be interested in wearing clothes from Walmart? So I was kind of interested, so it was clearly financially driven, not exactly a godly way to do things. But I was interested, in because in, in my mind, at age 20, 21, 22, I wasn't very needy. All oh, right, the opposite. I was comprehensively needy. I was super needy. Um, so as you, as you look at prayer for your marriage, realize the most needy person is you. Your, your sin makes you needy. You need God. You need His grace. So given these truths, um, uh, Tripp does a good job here in, in, in talking of um, the Lord's Prayer in just a minute. But, but remember the context of your marriage as you pray. Your marriage, the context of that is, is God. 
Uh, Acts 17, 28 says, For in him we live and move and have our being. Reminds us of the reality of marriage. Every day sin shows up and every day grace gives us what we need to deal with sin. So that's very fortunate because if it didn't, it would eventually wear you out. But we're fortunate to have grace every day to deal with the sins of this day. Sin is the reason all struggles exist in marriage. Um, it's not your spouse. It's not your mom and dad. It's not your work. It's, it's sin. And grace is the only reliable hope of being able to deal with them. Um, so using the Lord's Prayer from Matthew 6 as a model, I think we're going to put it up on, on the top up there. So interesting way to look at this from a marriage perspective. Because um, a lot of times uh, when I've done prayer in my life, I've tried to figure, well, how do I pray more effectively? How do, I, how do I think about my spouse in a more godly way? How do I pray to encourage her? How do I uh, even humbly approach the throne to pray uh, for such a big cause, right? If you've got a big view of marriage, then it's a big cause. So he does a pretty good job here. He, he takes the Lord's Prayer and he kind of breaks it down and kind of gives you some ideas to think about. But he says, Our Father in heaven, it's from Matthew 6, you know, that part, prayer reminds you that your marriage is, is not left alone with simply your own power and, and, and wisdom. Don't forget um, God's presence, His promises, His provisions in your marriage. So you're not alone. You have a Father in heaven that created marriage. Uh, he, he's got your back. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's purpose for your marriage is always bigger than your marriage. Your marriage is big. It's a great pointer, but his purpose for your marriage is much bigger. Your marriage is a part of something much, much bigger, so submit your purposes to God. Prayer is a willing offering of your life and all it contains to the loving and wise authority of God. Give us this day our daily bread. Uh, requires you to see yourself as needy. Uh, your daily provision, your daily bread. Same in a marriage. I need daily grace to, for my wife to deal with me. I need daily grace to uh, deal with myself. Uh, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Should remind you of God's daily call to give the same grace that He has lavishly poured out on you to your spouse. How often do we forget how much He has forgiven us when dealing with our spouse? Very easy to, the later and the longer your marriage is, this might be an easier thing to do. You forget about the grace He's poured out on you. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Prayer reminds us of our struggles inside of ourselves. Reminds us that we need rescue, we need protection. We must not forget that. Our biggest problem in our marriage is ourselves. Prayer calls us to quit blaming our spouse and look in the mirror. And the final part for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Prayer reminds us of God's kingship and his glory. He's in control of all things. His sovereign rule of your marriage is not by mistake. His, his promise of giving you grace is not by mistake. So take great great uh, confidence in that. As you commit to daily prayer for your marriage, God's grace uh, graces you with his forgiveness, his protection, his wisdom, and his strength. So we got two can'ts. We got can't coast, don't coast, can't stop praying for your marriage. 
So now we're going to get to what what am I supposed to do? How do I how do I do marriage, right? Not a big can't fan, but I like do's. So the third point is cultivate a marriage filled with worship, work, and grace. Um, when it comes to marriage problems, worship is the problem and worship is the cure. Um, when God is in his rightful place, then everything else will be in its rightful place. How often do we um, attribute um, our marriage problems to wrongful worship, misplaced worship? Should be a lot. I mean, a lot of times when we're down on ourselves, when we're, we're mad at our spouse or we're frustrated or whatever, it's really a misplaced worship. We've put some trust into some earthly item, Work, work gets me all the time, right? I come home, I don't leave it at work, I bring it home and I'm frustrated. Well, that's a misplaced worship. If my worship is on God and God alone, then I'm going to come home thankful that I have a great wife and family and house to come home to, right? But misplaced worship is a lot of times uh, our problem. How often do you look at, I deserve this and I deserve that and my spouse isn't giving it to me? Well, that's misplaced worship. It's a worship of yourself, when I love God above all else, I will be enabled to love my wife as myself. We all lean towards uh, worshiping ourselves. We replace this by willingly, actively, and consistently worshiping God. So consistently being around others that are uh, like-minded. I mentioned earlier being a part of a small group, living with others. That's a great. Consistently being under great teaching, which we have here at Capshaw consistently finding ways to uh, worship throughout your day. Everybody likes to worship different. Some people like to sing all the time. Some people listen to podcasts. Some, but find ways to worship God and keep your uh, vertical relationship proper. will help keep your horizontal marriage proper. Uh, the, the cure for every marriage is renewed worship of God. And Tripp says, when your life is shaped by the worship of God, you live with his plans and purposes in view. So what are some characteristics of a marriage shaped by a proper worship of God? These are obviously not all inclusive, but they were some pretty good ones. You live thankful for your spouse. If your proper worship of God is, is focused on him and him alone, you're going to live very thankfully for your spouse. He uniquely picked your spouse to be married to you at this given time. It wasn't a mistake. That, that's a, I think people start to think, well, maybe I didn't pick the right one. No, no, God picked it. You didn't pick it at all, okay? So, so take great comfort and be thankful for your spouse that you have today. Uh, God has, has uniquely gifted your spouse to deal with you. Amen, right? That is, I think about that a lot when I get frustrated with my wife. I'm like, well, nobody else put up with me. So I'm glad that she does. So it, a, a proper worship of God, you're going to live thankful for your spouse and for your marriage. Humility. Proper worship of God will drive to humility. It will, it will cause you to be amazed at what he has done to put you together with your spouse. Amazed to think about what he has gotten your marriage through. Think back a lot of times. If you've been married for a long time, 20, 30, 40 years, 10 years, 2 years, think back of what God has brought you through to get to this point. It should generate much humility. How undeserving we are. No right to expect or demand good things. So great humility is approached with our marriage. Um, should be uh, understanding of how great, patient, kind, gentle, and forgiving God's love is. Uh, as we think about Christ in the church, we think about what all he's done for us. 
we're supposed to mirror that in our marriage. How can we forget his love for us? It puts us in our place. Um, I often can't imagine staying single my whole life like Paul. I probably would have been the most arrogant snot known to man. Um, I, I just can't fathom not having a, a uh, spouse that's uniquely qualified to bring me back down to earth. Um, so I, I think, I'm thankful a lot for that. I joked in my 20s about, wow, she's really rough on me sometimes, right? But I needed that. If, if there, was, there was other, prior to my wife, there was other uh, uh, ladies that I dated that I probably could have ran all over. Um, uh, and that was probably my tendency in, a, in the 20s. But I'm thankful um, that God has uniquely put somebody there that can put me in my place. Uh, but we're not focused on our self-focused kingdom if we're in our place. We're focused on His kingdom. God is with you and He is able. So if I'm worshiping God and I understand that He is with me and He is able, then it takes a little pressure off me to be able to do everything. He's got it. right? Uh, you don't try to do His job. If my, if my worship is in the right place, I'm not going to try to do His job. I'm not going to go change my spouse tomorrow. I don't like how you're doing this. I need you to change it. Right? If God wants her to change, and, and that is something biblically he's leading her to, she will change. I, I don't have to do his job for him. Uh, you're in need of in change and growth, and so is your spouse. Let God do the growing. Let God do the sanctifying. Um, you know, I don't, I don't need to go around telling my wife what she needs to be doing all the time. You want to give others the same grace you have received. So if I've got a proper worship of God, if, I, if my vertical relationship is good, I will want to give others um, the same uh, grace that I have so richly received. And that includes my spouse. So uh, some characteristics of worship there. Worship and work go hand in hand. So we talk about worship, your proper placing of your worship. Work goes hand in hand with that, right? I can't just uh, forget about work. So if you believe that God is wise and true, then you will take seriously what he says and you will willingly do the things he says are good and right to do. It's obedience, right? If I, if I believe he is who he says he is and he created this marriage and was created by him and for him, then by all means, I should be wise enough to do what he says to do. I should love my wife. I should cherish my wife. I should serve her as, as Christ served the church. I should love her. I should build her up. I should encourage her. So he lists in the book, there's a myriad of, of good, good ideas and things that uh, describe what being committed to hard work of marriage looks like, but I'm only going to list a few for sake of time. And one of them that I liked a lot was, care about your spouse's true needs and gladly work to meet them. I am guilty of often uh, satisfying the needs of my wife that she doesn't know she needs, right? Because um, they're easy for me to satisfy. Whatever the case may be, whether it's buying or something or doing something, I quickly learned later on, hey, she don't really need that. I didn't want she wanted it at all. She wanted me to do the dishes, right? So at the end of the day, satisfy uh, your spouse's true needs and gladly work to meet them. Notice that's gladly. Not begrudgingly, gladly. Do the daily work of forgiveness and reconciliation so that you and your spouse can live in peace. It's hard work. Forgiveness and reconciliation stink. It gets really, really uh, messy, 
conversations are long and hard. Uh, sometimes, sometimes it's good. I think as you mature in your relationship, I think they get better. But that's hard work. It's easy to say, well, we'll, we'll talk about that next week and just forget about it. That's the easy button. That ain't going to work well, though. Right? Partner with your spouse in the daily work of maintaining your physical surroundings. That was from my wife. So, so take time to maintain your physical surroundings, i.e. your home, your, your whatever you own, whatever you take care of, your car. Um, do the things that, that uh, help with your, uh, with your spouse around the house. Do not let the sun go down on a moment of hurt, misunderstanding, or anger. Obviously, biblically generated command here. Don't, don't let anger uh, dwell. Don't let hurt dwell. Uh, misunderstandings happen a lot in a marriage. We're two sinners. We can't really communicate all that great to start off with. And then we're supposed to be jiving all the time. It happens a bunch. Don't let that, once you find out about that, don't let that, uh, don't let the sun go down on that. Encourage and support your spouse in areas of interest that you do not share. I will give a classic example of my, my beautiful bride has done well with this. We were uh, young and in love and and she made a decision early on when we were dating. She says, well, I hate basketball. Can't really stand it. Don't even know anything about it. But I guess if I'm going to date this guy, I'm going to have to figure it out and watch it. So for the last 20-plus years, I guess, she's decided, well, if I'm going to be married to him, I at least ought to pick up the game and know something about it. So and for 20 years, she has poured into me and my love fest for the game of basketball where she really didn't like that. That's not, not basketball is not necessarily her game. And so, but she saw that as, a, as a, a desire or a need for me to watch a whole lot of basketball, especially in March. And so for 20 years, she's become very good at basketball. I catch our kids playing, and she's out there telling them exactly what I'd tell them. So that's good. She's poured herself into something she didn't really care about for my sake. So that's what we're looking to do. Pour yourself into something that your spouse is super interested in for her sake or for his sake. Fight the busyness that would get in the way of giving your marriage attention. Um, at our age, in our small group, we're somewhere between 30s and 50s, and um, we're at the busy stage. Um, a lot of you are busy. Babies are busy. Everybody's busy. Kids are busy. Um, but fight the busyness to get in the way of giving your marriage attention. Um, it's got to be a preeminent priority for you. Not your kids, not your mom and dad, not your work, but your marriage. Okay? The hope uh, for your marriage is captured in grace. We've discussed six different commitments during this study, many practical application tips and good ideas, but don't be discouraged. So as we talk about this stuff tonight, you might be saying, well, I didn't do any of that. I don't do any of that well. I don't do any of it even remotely well, don't be discouraged. There's grace, okay? Most of all, have sufficient grace uh, to make your marriage what God intends for it to be. Grace guarantees that you and your struggles will never be alone. God's grace assures you that when you have blown it, there's forgiveness to be found. Grace means there is strength when you are weak. Grace assures you that there is wisdom for the moments you feel dumb. Grace gives you hope when there seems little to be found. And grace enables you to get up and move forward when inside you want to quit and run away. So out of all the stuff we've talked about, uh, by God's grace, He will find ways to drive you to the end of yourself so that you will put your hope and your strength in Him. 
So it was, it was, I found it interesting that John asked me to teach on this one. It's purely, there's no random chance. It was God's um, sovereign call on this. But I'm, I'm sort of uniquely uh, qualified to teach this. Um, my parents, at, the, at my ripe age of 19, after a marriage of 20 years, decided to get a divorce. Uh, I was born on their second wedding anniversary. Um, so... Uh, I was their uh, anniversary present for that. Um, they had lived with my mom and I had predominantly went to church my whole life. Later in life, after I was came to know Jesus um, and trusted in him, my dad did. So I had grown up in what I thought was a quasi-normal um, family, uh, Christian family at that. Uh, came home one day from junior college. I was still living at home, and the house was empty, minus one chair. And at that point, I said, well, I don't want to be here when my dad gets home. Um, So I left. I went to the Y and played basketball um, for hours because I did not want to go home. So four or five hours later, I came home, and my dad's just sitting there in a chair, rocking, uh, looking around, empty house, everything's gone. Unfortunately, I kind of had a heads up it was coming. Um, But I I thought, as a 19-year-old kid, wow, is this what it's about? Is this what coasting looks like? My mom and dad coasted. They put all their energy into me. They didn't put their energy into themselves. Uh, they quit praying, quit ceasing, uh, you know, looking for, looking for God all the time. It was all about that. They quit looking for God's grace in their marriage. Um, they quit, um, quit crying out to God for his help. They quit worshiping God first, started worshiping other things, started listening to bad influences. Um, so at age 19, um, my parents get a divorce after 20 years of marriage. So it was rough. That was rough for me, even at 19. It was, uh, it was not welcomed. Um, they tried to work it out some, but not really. One had already decided to leave the other, and it was a done deal. So a couple of years later, um, I meet the love of my life at, at UNA. Uh, and uniquely, God has put us together where she too came from broken family, broken mom and dad. Our grandparents, uh, for the most part, are, are broken up too. So we come from a long line of broken up moms and dads. But we both had the same common theme. Hey, if we're going to get married, we're going to be great parents, but we're going to be great grandparents. We're going to finish this thing, right? We're not going to coast. We're not going to give up. We're not going to stop worshiping God first and foremost, and we're not going to stop on our marriage. We're not going to quit. So we had long talks about some of this stuff before. We, we openly admitted where we saw failure in our family. And looking back, I see God's grace and his sovereign power in that by putting us together. I see the actions of what was seemingly downtrodden, bad, bad things for me at age 19 has been a driver for me and my wife to hopefully finish this race well. So that's my encouragement to you today is don't coast. It's too easy to coast. It's too busy to coast. That's, you don't, don't do that. Um, my, my parents often, I'll tell you a side effect, my parents never really thought about, I think once I got out of the house, they thought, hey, our job's done, therefore we can leave. They never thought about sharing their grandchildren. Well, it's hard. I'm not sure one of my parents has ever recovered from that. Never thought about that. 
So don't coast. You're not, you're not finished. If your kids are out of the house, you're not finished. You're there to be great grandparents and great godly grandparents for them. You're there to show them uh, what love is and what grace is and what a good marriage is. So don't coast. Don't quit crying out to God. Don't stop relying on his grace and his mercy. Okay? So I will leave you with that, and we can pray. Any, any questions? Questions about our commitments? Questions? I think there's going to be a question and answer session next Wednesday. Um, but we do thank you for being here. Uh, I will add another one. If, if your marriage is in a situation where you need um, talk or you need um, uh, discussing it or, or just have some advice or whatever, don't ever hesitate to talk to Pastor John, talk to Pastor Adam, any of our elders. Talk, talk to somebody. Don't let it get to the point where my mom and dad did and I get home and they're gone. It's already too late. Nobody tried to reconcile. Nobody tried to restore. Give it. It's hard work, but you owe it a shot. You owe it a chance. God didn't make a mistake putting them together. So if you've got, um, you need help, don't don't hesitate to ask.